Well, good morning. <coughs> Welcome to this pre-recorded meeting from Calvary Evangelical Church here in Brighton on the south coast of England for the 2nd of August 2020. As you can see, we're still meeting in this virtual technology way um, and hope that in God's mercy we'll be able to meet uh, in person as soon as it's right and proper to do so. We're a church of uh, people living in the uh, south coast of England, in Brighton, in Sussex in the UK. We are believers in Jesus Christ. There's uh, 70 or 80 of us meeting together on what used to be normal times. Uh, we're just ordinary people from different nations, different backgrounds, who believe in Jesus Christ, look to him for the forgiveness of our sins, and believe his promises both for this life and the, for the life to come. We believe God has brought us together to love him and serve him and we're going to do our best to express that uh, as far as we're able today that's including in our music and songs and incidentally somebody asked if the music and songs could be available for people to listen to during the week when they're doing the ironing or whatever and if you look in this YouTube channel you should be able to find a playlist of songs that you're welcome to listen to so thank you for Annika for, to Annika for preparing those and hopefully we'll be able to have some more to put up in due course. Um, may God use the teaching and admonition of his word, uh, the word of Christ in those songs. May the word of Christ dwell within us richly as we teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in our hearts to the Lord. My name's Philip Wells. I'm one of the team of elders here at Calvary. I'm leading this morning and other notices are either up on the screen there or will have been notified to you in the usual way. So a particular welcome to you if you've dropped in, as it were, and I'm going to try and click and uh, just show you the things that we're going to be doing. There it is on the screen. We're going to do the things that Christians usually do when they get together to sing uh, or have sung to us or join in at home to sing, to pray, to read the Bible, have a talk on the Bible as it applies to us, uh, and there's the plan up there. We're continuing the series of studies and meditations in a book from the New Testament uh, called the uh, Letter to the Hebrews, or Hebrews for short, and that's what we're going to be looking at later. So let's pray. Lord, whatever sort of week we've had however this finds us uh, as we tune in just now please may we be found drawing near to the living God and may you in your grace and mercy draw near to us may we be found in living contact with the living God may we hear authentically your voice may we be authentically in your presence and one in spirit, even though we can't meet in the usual way. So may these things be true, not because we deserve them, but because Jesus Christ deserves them. And for his sake we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing two songs to begin with, and uh, the first of them is a rendition of Psalm 95. And I'll read that to you. Psalm 95 says this, um, it's, uh, it begins with, 
adoration and praise that ends in a rather unsettling way. It has a sting in the tail. It ends up reminding God's people that they need to live in faith and obedience today. Uh, we thank God for yesterday. We look to God for tomorrow, but he's given us today. Today is the time to respond to him and not to harden our hearts. That's what the psalm says. I'll read it. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray, for they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. It does have a sting in the tail, doesn't it? But it begins with very exalted praise. So we're going to sing a version of this. It's uh, Psalm 95, I think song number 95, if you've got the praise hymn book. Shepherd, 
song we're going to sing is uh, you call it who has held the mountain the oceans in his hands or behold your god seated on the throne i don't know what you call it but that's uh, the song we're going to sing the words will be up on the screen this song quotes from the magnificent isaiah chapter 40 that's the one that asks these sorts of questions who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counsellor? Uh, this is uh, making the point that God is so great, the whole cosmos is just like little bits of dust to him, and uh, uh, his wisdom is deep beyond finding out. Have you? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? He sits above. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He brings princes to naught, and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. So we're, we're going to sing this song. Who has held the oceans in his hand? Grain of sand, kings and nations. 
to lead us again in a prayer. O Lord our God, we bow before you in all your greatness. You are without compare. We ascribe to you glory and grandeur and majesty and holiness and wisdom and power. We come to you, we're like grasshoppers before you, but we're sinful grasshoppers. We bring to you the burden and the pain of our unbelief, our attempts to solve our problems in our way and not yours. We bring to you with pain and sadness the sin that dwells within us by which we rebel and neglect and go wrong in thought, word, deed and inner motivation. We humbly confess our sins and ask that you would grant us forgiveness and newness of life to live in repentance, turning from sin and living for you. We come to thank you for your care of us every day, for answered prayer, for kindness and mercy shown to us, for prayer, answers to prayers that we never even prayed. Uh, we thank you for your kindness and goodness. We commit our lives to you afresh. Take us, Lord, in every part. Let there be nothing within us that is unresponsive to your spirit and your ways. We pray for our world that you will show mercy and bring many people to realise that you are God and that Jesus Christ is the only Saviour. May men and women and boys and girls turn to you, send and equip your church to be the means of your salvation across the world. We pray for our government and governments across the world. May they be given hum humble wisdom to govern rightly and wisely. And may they look to you for help and not think that they're clever enough to do it all by themselves, which they clearly aren't. May our world 
heed the wake-up call of the pandemic. But in the midst of this, please have mercy on the vulnerable, those who are perhaps older or who have underlying health problems, or for one reason or another are liable to the ravages of this virus. We also pray for those who are, who are bearing the brunt of this, hard-working um, health professionals, medical professionals. We name before you Estelle and ask you to uphold her this week, and Annika's sister too in Germany, working hard. We pray for those who are taking a break over the summer, and we ask that you would give them the grace to be able to take rest and get refreshment, but without forgetting you in the process. We pray for health and safety for those moving within our own country and moving internationally. At this point, we stop to bring individual prayers to you, maybe prayers of particular gratitude uh, this week. Uh, maybe prayers of particular concern this week. Uh, burdens that we carry that we want to cast upon you so that we should not li live our lives perpetually burdened, perpetually anxious. We bring to you our cares, our hopes, our longings, our fears, and lay them all at your feet knowing that we have a faithful and merciful High Priest, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven for us. Hear our prayer. Amen. And let's add to that prayer the Lord's Prayer, which is up on the screen here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. Well, Christopher is now going to read to us from the letter to the Hebrews. He's going to start off in chapter 3. Uh, going into chapter 4, verse 1, that's the bit that says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Uh, so, thank you, Christopher. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for forty years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, 
Their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were not were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stand, stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. The reading said, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess he was faithful. Uh, fix your thoughts, may, perhaps meaning consider or look carefully at same word, uh, if I remember correctly, is when Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, look at them, think about them. So let's do what he says, let's consider Jesus our Saviour uh, in this song. It's a song by John Newton. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds and drives away our fear written by John Newton. He was a slave trader and uh, he was converted to Jesus Christ and then became a, a, a loved and fruitful minister of the gospel in various places in England, uh, uh, including in London. So he describes Jesus, shepherd, saviour, friend, prophet, priest, king. Let's sing this together. Two Nine nine, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. How sweet the name. Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It soothes our sorrows, heals our wounds, and drives away our fear. It makes the spirit whole and calms each heart oppressed it's manna to the hungry soul and to the weary 
again before we come to hear the talk. Lord we thank you for the letter to the Hebrews. We thank you for the one of whom it speaks, Jesus our Saviour. We bow before his utter greatness and confess our sins and rebellion and look to him and ask that we might have our eyes fixed on him. Help us fully to consider him Forgive us if we've let other things become more important than Jesus, our family, ourselves, our concerns, even perhaps our service to you. They're good things, but they shouldn't ever take the place in our thinking, which belongs to you, the first and foremost place, Lord Jesus. 
We ask that as we hear your word, we might be brought to be better servants, more consistent, more appreciative, more devoted, more heartfelt, and to live that way day by day. So change us as we listen to your word. Amen. So before we have the talk, let's think about the U-shaped path of Jesus down to earth, down to the cross, lifted in the resurrection, the ascension and his enthronement, till the day when all things without exception are brought before his feet. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Previous times we uh, thought about this singing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Uh, this time we'll sing something different. Same theme, though. Number 480, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon the throne. We're going to sing 480. Lamb once slain, the sovereign 
So we've prayed and let's look together at this passage. We're going to just look at Hebrews 3, first six verses. And uh, to introduce, let's look back at this um, believer to whom the letter was written, as we're sort of imagining it and uh, uh, reconstructing it. Despite the pressures, and there are pressures in this world, and particularly for those people, but we're not exempt from them, Despite the pressures, hold on, keep on, run the race, don't give up. There is a path to heaven. There is a way to follow. And at every point there is an alternative beckoning away from the path. Don't be so stupid as to step off the path. in The Hobbit, uh, I think it's in the film version, not sure it's in the book, uh, Gandalf the wizard says to uh, Frodo, or is it Bilbo? Bilbo, I think. Uh, there's Mirkwood, it's a dangerous sort of place, but if you stick to the path, you'll be safe. You'll be safe if you stick to the path. Don't leave the path, Bilbo. And what do they do? You guessed it. They leave the path. So let's look back, uh, just remind ourselves of this letter of the Hebrews. Background, it was written to uh, people who said they were Christians from a Jewish background. He doesn't stop to prove the things that they've accepted, but to remind them of their implication and power. These people had believed in Jesus back in the early days and had suffered for their faith, uh, but they were now losing their way and going back to whatever it was, the synagogue, the temple, hence drifting, don't drift, don't become lazy, don't become sluggish. And uh, therefore the letter contains promises and warnings. And we'll come back to this uh, a number of times, I'm sure, Dick Lucas's uh, pithy uh, summary of it. The mark of the elect is that they believe the promises and heed the warnings. I don't know whether he made that up or whether he just said it, but uh, it really sums it up. So there are exhortations, and an exhortation can be a positive one. Come on, it's really good to run faster. Come on, keep going. That sort of positive exhortation. And a negative exhortation. If you give up now, you'll never get back up again. You know, if you leave the path, you might never get back onto it. So there's exhortations of a positive nature and a negative nature. So you get the we must pay more careful attention in chapter 2, verse 1. And here, fix your thoughts on Jesus, 3, verse 1. So far, we've said that God has spoken to us in his Son. There's a, an emphasis on God speaking in these last days by his Son. And he blasted off in 1, 1 to 4 by showing us that Jesus was at the epicentre of all things divine, creation, eschatology, revelation, providence, redemption. 
and then he he went off to talk about the angels and say they are not as good as the sun they're different to the sun the sun is not an angel and they had the little diagram there of uh, coming down uh, and going up uh, this would have been relevant to the readers Moses law was uh, given by angels as we understand it and then we looked at Psalm 8 the u-shaped career of Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels or for a little while was made lower than the angels and is now crowned with glory and honour but we don't yet see everything totally put under his feet uh, there's an interim period until things are put under his feet so this places us in a certain point in history uh, between his first coming and his second coming and this history has its characteristic attributes it means that this is the time that we must hold on press forward run the race and so on we're not there yet we thought about jesus being made like us and we said how much like us is he enough to die for us enough to call us family enough to take flesh and blood enough to reach down to help us enough to actually understand us so the bit that we're looking at now says we are his house 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 if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast that's in verse six so i thought we'd think about houses you know this house it's the uh, fictional home downton abbey you may even have heard of it uh, it, it represents a bygone age when there were great houses and at their best uh, they housed a noble family with uh, an illustrious history you know the third earl and the fourth duke and lady this and lord that and the uh, the house would have contained many servants and at its best they would be valued each would have a place um, it would form a busy extended family uh, with all sorts of interactions interconnected lives fruitful business many benefits spinning off if that house was run uh, at its best and uh, in the halls of this house you could meet duchess so-and-so lady so-and-so the duke of so-and-so great presences would be found walking in that house well uh, that's fictional the real high clear castle that's the real place uh, you can go around it if you uh, if you prepare to pay uh, it was actually uh, rebuilt from an earlier house uh, there'd been houses on that site for a long 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 time it was rebuilt uh, somewhere between 1842 and 49 according to wikipedia which therefore it must be correct by the architect sir charles barry who if you're interested also designed the palace of westminster which we refer to as the houses of parliament there he is uh, is he holding a cigarette or is he holding some sort of theodolite i thought it was a cigar but now i look more closely maybe he's holding a measuring instrument or um, his iPad or something anyway respect he did a great job well done well done Sir Charles uh, so going back to the fictional Downton Abbey uh, there uh, are two people who are important figures in this uh, the uh, fictional Downton Abbey was inherited by the eldest son Lord Grantham, that's him, and it's uh, administered and run by the chief of all the servants, the butler, 
hope I'm giving him his correct title, the butler, Mr. Carson. That's Mr. Carson. And uh, the house, when it says the house, well, it could mean both or either of these things, the building, High Clear Castle, or it could mean the people in it, the household. Uh, you're always welcome in this house. I think Mr. Carson says, meaning perhaps a bit mixed of both there. Anyway, uh, if you look at the household, uh, you probably can't see all the faces there, but I'm sure you, you can look them up if you're at all interested. Uh, there's the cast with Lord Grantham, Lady Grantham, the Dowager Duchess, is that right? Uh, Mr. Carson and all the servants, and one big community of this house. Well, the paragraph we're looking at uses the idea of a house. In other words, I've put it in grand language, the salvation edifice that God is building. God is building a house. And if you just look, verse 2, it says, Moses was faithful in all God's house. Verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. So you've got two, two uh, references there. For every house is built by someone, and, but God is the builder of everything. Verse 4. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Verse 5. Um, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So lots and lots about the house there. I think I've picked up on the right theme. House. And a little word there, if. You might hardly notice it. If we hold on to our confidence and the hope of which we boast. That word if I'm going to come back to. So here's my plan. Uh, if you were doing sermon teaching, you would say, you don't want to do a plan like this. Anyway, it's the best I've got at the moment. So question one, uh, let's think about how do, we, how do we get onto the subject of houses? Question two, what, what is meant by house? What is this house? Question three, where do Moses and Jesus fit in this house? And question four, how important is the if? So that's the plan. Uh, how do we get onto the subject? Uh, what does it mean by a house? Where are Moses and Jesus in this house? And how important is the if? So uh, bear with me. Let's, let's go through the passage and, and think about it in that sort of way. So how do we get onto the subject of the house, I wonder? Because we started off, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling... Fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest whom we confess. So nothing there about houses. Uh, it talks about Jesus, the Apostle, the Sent One. That's what it means. It's, I think, the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as an Apostle. But an Apostle is a Sent One, somebody sent with authority. And uh, Jesus is Sent. And he's also referred to as the High Priest. So this... Uh, you could neatly say this is to do with his work as a prophet. He set, he's sent to say stuff and as a priest. Uh, so God speaks through the Son. Uh, in these last days, God has spoken in the Son. And then God saving in the Son. He made purification for sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Two dimensions of his work. God speaking in him and God saving through him is the apostle and high priest. And the point being here, we confess. So that we need to 
take that on board. The op confesses the opposite of deny. Deny says, oh, nothing to do with me, nothing to do with me. I don't know, I didn't do that, I'm not involved with that. But confess says, yes, this is something to do with me. I do own up to this. Uh, I'm fully involved with it. In my commentary, the man had written a binding expression of obligation and commitment. That's what confessing is. We confess him. We make a binding expression of obligation and commitment to Jesus. Uh, there's an expression to nail your colours to the mast. So I suppose that must be a naval expression that uh, your colours are your flag and if you're determined to keep your obligation and your commitment to the king for whom you are sailing uh, and you don't want that uh, to be um, got at, you might take your flag instead of holding it up with a piece of string you might nail your colours to the mast and the the uh, the writer is is really saying here when it comes to being a Christian you've got to nail your colours to the mast you, you've got to be absolutely determined in a binding expression of obligation and commitment so when you start your new job or go to your new place or meet friends that you haven't met for a while and they say oh you're not one of those weird Christians are you then you don't say oh, you confess, you say, as a matter of fact, I am, and I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed of the Apostle and High Priest. I confess him. He's my Lord and he's my Saviour. OK, well, that's where we got to. Now, how does this get on to the subject of house? Well, uh, it's to do with the things that have gone in the mind of the writer. It has sparked some thoughts and he, he, he's, he's got a plan here. So one thing is that this is to do with Moses. And in Numbers 12, 7, Moses is described like this. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face. So there's something there about Moses. The, the, the readers would have been very pro-Moses. And the writer says, you're absolutely right. Moses is a great man, um, a great spiritual giant with great privileges. And we don't want to knock Moses. Uh, so Moses, one thing. Number two, this prophecy... Uh, against the house of Eli in the time of Samuel. So here's another quotation. That's completely wrong. Uh, uh, the, <laughs> the reference is wrong. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. Uh, the correct reference is 1 Samuel 2.35. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. So here is a something about faithfulness, something about the house, but this time it's to do with a faithful priest. And of course the writer to the Hebrews has been thinking of Jesus as a faithful priest. So uh, here is a, something that his mind has gone to. Uh, this faithful priest has a house and it points us to the priesthood of Jesus, although he's going to say that 
Jesus' priesthood is somewhat different from a different family. Nevertheless, a right way to understand the person and work of Jesus is that he is a priest. He does stuff between us and God, and he does it very, very well. So, priest and house. And uh, a third um, reference, which I hope I've got right this time. 1 Chronicles seventeen fourteen, a prophecy to David, the king. I will raise up your offspring. He will build a house for me. I will be his father. He will be my son. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. So here is the son. And he has a house. And you notice he's over the house. So here's something about the son that the, the writer is going to pick up on. And this time we're not talking about a, a prophet or a priest, but we're talking about a king, the forever king. So uh, that's, where, that's how we got onto the subject, through thinking uh, about these lines of prophecy of Jesus being a, a, a prophet and a priest and a king, and these uh, all lining up in the manner of faithfulness uh, over the house. Okay. That's how we got onto the subject. Question two, what's this house? What is this house? Is this just a, a thing that is just crops up here as, as an oddity? So let's say a few things about this. Uh, number one, it's not a church building. Um, when people sometimes say, uh, welcome to the house of God, they're not, uh, it's only in a manner of speaking. When it says the house, it's not talking about a church building. Um, a dear lady once said, oh, you shouldn't let the, the boys and girls, the children, run round in the house of God, which, if I may respectfully say, is a mistake about the building. The building is just a place where the people meet. It's not a holy place in itself. So the house is not a church building. And it's not even the local church. This is it's not saying houses. It is the whole thing, the... Um, not the local church, but the people of God as a whole. And I've got ahead of myself now, haven't I? So, here's a couple of answers. House. Well, we've already had the house of Israel, not meaning a building, but meaning a family, uh, in the sense of the Downton Abbey family, for it, as it were. Used then here of the whole people of God not the house of Israel, um, that is to say an ethnic group referred to as the house, but the people in the wider sense, the household of God. Uh, Hebrews ten twenty one he says, we have a great high priest over the house of God, meaning the whole people of God. And please notice that there is one house, Moses is in that house, Jesus is in that house, as we shall see in a moment. But it's one house. There's one people. The Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. Not two separate ones, but one house. One people formed uh, in, uh, in, in the fullness of it, of Jew and Gentile alike. And... Uh, begin to think what an amazing program this is what an amazing building program God has to build a community stretching down through the generations um, including Jews and Gentiles people from all nations to form them into one household 
and you think, wow, what a privilege to be part of this. Uh, if we're part of this house, just imagine who you might meet when you're walking down the corridors of this house. Mm. Yeah, all sorts of people you might meet, some wonderful personages in this house. And uh, let's uh, take a second line, uh, house, how is that word used? Uh, build a house for me, Solomon and the temple, uh, a house not made with hands. The temple is the place where God lived, uh, and he lived not sort of um, quarantined uh, from his people at a, a large distance, but within his people. Now, there certainly had to be special measures to make it possible for God to live among his people and the people to survive with a holy God in the midst of them. But uh, that's what the temple was there for, God living in the midst of his people. And the New Testament uses this idea. Uh, Paul doesn't say house here, but his idea is this. In Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he doesn't use the word house, but the idea is there, isn't it? A dwelling where God lives, a community of his people, the community where God lives. We... We talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, or we ought to talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, we don't only have indwelling sin, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. But the indwelling of God is not simply limited uh, individual by individual, but in, he dwells in the community of his people. And that's rather a wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, he dwells in the community of his people. And again, you think, what a privilege this is. Uh, Saviour of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, uh, treasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Great privilege to belong to this community. Okay, uh, so that's what we mean by house. So question three now. Um, where are Moses and Jesus in this house? And the writer constructs a, quite a careful placing of Moses and Jesus in this house. And he says, first of all, Moses was faithful. He was faithful to the one who appointed him. Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. It's rather lovely that the writer doesn't say, well, Moses messed it up. Moses failed, so we need a different saviour. He actually says Moses was faithful. But the distinction and the difference is, is not that Moses wasn't faithful and Jesus was, but that Moses was faithful as a servant. Um, verse 5, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. The difference between being a faithful servant and a faithful son. And the difference between being faithful in God's house and being faithful over God's house. In other words, the difference between the way Carson is in Downton Abbey and Lord Grantham. Lord Grantham is the son who's inherited it. Carson 
is the faithful servant who plays a valuable role in it. So it's not that there's a discontinuity, but they fit together. And he's not asking these Jewish believers to forsake Moses, to rubbish Moses, to disdain Moses. What he's asking them to do is to see the true place that Moses has, to honour him as that, as the servant of the son's house. So where are Moses and Jesus in this house? Well, Moses is a servant and Jesus is the son. And let's think about where Moses is in his household duties. This is a very interesting expression if you care to look at it. Moses was faithful, testifying to what would be said in the future. Testifying to what would be said in the future. The things to be spoken in the future. This is his job summed up. Uh, what's he there to do? To prepare the way to testify to the real message. The things that were to be spoken through the Son in the last days. The real heart of it. The real summit of it. The epitome of it is what Jesus says. And Moses is saying, listen to him. Listen to him. And it is our job to listen to what Moses says. He testifies about Jesus Christ. In, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, search the scriptures. They don't give you eternal life. They testify about me. It isn't having a degree in biblical studies that saves you. It's knowing the Jesus that the Bible speaks about that saves you. And uh, we see, of course, that Jesus is there in the whole Bible. You know, if you've got one of those Bibles that has red letters for the things that Jesus says, um, I really suggest you, you buy a different Bible because it isn't just the, the, the bits uh, in red that speak about Jesus. Jesus is speaking through the whole of the Bible. He's there in the whole of the Bible. It all testifies about him. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, let's listen. Let's be people who listen to Scripture, who make it our business to be listening to the testimony of the things spoken in the Son. Where are, where are Moses and Jesus in this house? Well, let, let's just look again, because actually there's a lot in these, this passage, even though it's just a few verses. There's a comparison between the builder and the building. So, verse 3, Jesus has been found more worthy, sorry, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honour than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant, etc. So there's a difference between the builder and the building. Now Mo Moses is part of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. That is the way it works, isn't it? Um, he has greater honour because the builder has greater honour than the house. So Jesus is the builder of the house. And uh, the writer also goes includes in his thought that the great builder is God himself. Now whether we should take that as, as a, a direct implication that Jesus is, uh, the, is God himself, um, I don't know. Some of the commentators say that's definitely the implication. I mean, we know that Jesus is, uh, is the divine son. Quite how it works from these verses is a little bit beyond me, but we can definitely say 
Jesus is the builder of the house. Uh, Jesus is the one who says, I will build my church. I will build it. He's the builder. The great builder is Jesus. Uh, worth thinking about that, isn't it? Uh, if you're a Christian, how did you get to be a Christian? Who was the one who uh, hacked you out of uh, the native rock and made you into a stone that would fit into a building? Who was it who, 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 who picked you up and dusted you down and fitted you into place? It was Jesus, wasn't it? But what a wonderful thing to think of him building us into his temple, into his house. Okay, question four. How important is the if? So we've seen uh, something about the uh, Moses and Jesus in their respective places in this wonderful project, the house that God is building, uh, his salvation edifice, the community in which he dwells, where Christ is the high priest over it, the son over it. And the last verse we're looking at says, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So how important is the if? And having thought about it and read up on it and listened to things during the week, do you know, I think this is right. The whole of the letter is poured through this little word, if. The whole of the letter to the Hebrews could be focused down into this word, if. If we are his house, if. There is an if. And you say, oh, where does an if come from? I thought it was all fixed. I thought, I don't think there was any ifs, certainly no buts. Uh, now, what about this if? So I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but uh, you might well be thinking, oh, Calvin? I thought this was a Calvinistic church. Uh, isn't this one of the weak spots in Calvin? Doesn't Calvin deny the if? Doesn't he say, uh, isn't he at odds with the letter to the Hebrews? Doesn't Calvinism say this? God chose people, okay? He, that's the election. He chose people before the foundation of the world. Uh, isn't Jesus tasked with keeping his elect till the last day, John 6, 39, uh, that he infallibly will bring his elect people to salvation, uh, raising them on the last day? And, and therefore, you might say, surely, uh, either something's gone wrong here because how can this if be there? And... Uh, I think I'm going to say absolutely from God's side there is no ifs. There is no ifs and buts. God has his plan. Nothing can thwart it. And he will most surely do exactly what he's said. And when we uh, Christians arrive in heaven on the last day every single one of them will say I'm here because of God's grace. He chose me. He kept me through thick and thin. And it's thanks to him that I am here on the last day. He's kept me uh, wonderfully, amazingly. I'm so grateful to him. And that is true from God's side. But the writer here is tackling it from the other side, if you like, the other side of the, uh, the waterline. You know, you think of a, an iceberg above the waterline, below the waterline, the mysterious deep things belonging to the Lord below the waterline 
the things above the waterline for us to hear and do. And here we are above the waterline. The elect believe the promises, but they heed the warnings. And it's right to have an if. If you hold on, if you don't stop believing, if you don't stop praying, if you don't stop reading the Bible, if you don't stop repenting, if you don't stop coming to church, you are his house. Yeah. If. Well, what are the ifs more specifically? Well, we thought about con that confession, didn't we? Confessing Jesus as our apostle and high priest. Uh, the opposite of deny, we said. A binding expression of obligation and commitment. Nailing your colours to the mast. If, if you do that, if you don't flunk it, if when people say, oh, you're a Christian, you don't back off, if you don't shut up, uh, see what I mean, don't be silenced in confessing Christ, uh, if you are not silent, if you hold that confession. And I just want to say, please, take notice of this. Mm. There's all sorts of um, stumblings and um, half-heartedness and false starts. But, you know, end of the day, you must hold on. You can't just stumble your way through. You have to hold on. You have to hold on to a confession of Jesus Christ. And then it's perhaps a little bit more clear in in the verse 6 itself we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast if we do that if we hold on if we hold on you see this thing's making us relax our grip but this is if we hold on well first thing to hold on to is our courage um, I don't know how to pronounce it parisia uh, it means boldness the the, the the lack of inhibition to speak, uh, boldness, confidence. If we hold on to our confidence, our courage, uh, our confidence seems to me in what Jesus has done. Uh, does his blood really cleanse me? Well, yes, I hold on to the confidence that that's what happens. I've fallen so many times, can I be confident that he will still pick me up? I can. His promises are still real and true and can still be depended on. Hold on to it. Uh, you know, if you're saying, oh, I'm not really that sure that Christianity is effective. I mean, it's just faith, isn't it? Perhaps there's something more substantial elsewhere. I need a different type of salvation. Maybe something that's to do with meditation or something like that. Uh, that seems to me to be a little a better way to be confident with God. And the writer says, don't leave the path. Hold on to your confidence in Jesus Christ. And then the second if. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So he talked about holding on to the hope of which we boast. Uh, the boasting is to be glorying. It's actually a very strong word. It's like to be proud of something. I'm really proud of that. And the hope is not a wishy-washy thing, but it's a clear, strong expectation about the future, about the last day, the world to come, about which we are speaking. 
said the writer earlier on, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. When we will see Jesus, um, see all things put under his feet, that hope, he says, we have to hold on to the hope of which we boast. So, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, partakers in the heavenly calling, let's boast about the future. He will bring me there. It will be worth it. It will be, uh, um, what does the song say? I uh, can't remember. Um, a thousand somethings to be there. Look it up, tell me afterwards. The sands of time are sinking. It's worth looking forward to. That is where I've set my hope. I do have an anchor there. That's my anchorage point in my life. And you know, don't give up making that our hope. Don't say, oh, actually, I'd settle for winning the lottery. That would be fine. I'll settle for a comfortable life. I'll settle for what this world can offer. There are good things that this world can offer. A home, a family, a job. I'll set my hope on that. It's very subtle, isn't it? But uh, the writer says, no, don't um, let go of the real hope. Hang on to the real hope and boast of that. So, we thought about the house. We thought about Moses, the faithful servant in the house, but Jesus, the faithful son over the house, the builder of the house. There's the builder, Sir Charles Barry, wasn't it? And we are members of the house. Isn't that amazing? We are members of the house of God. If, if we hold on in faith, if we hold on to our boldness in approaching the throne of God through the blood of Jesus, if we hold on to a hope that is fixed in the distant future, that's where our hope lies. If we hold on to that, and as the writer's going to say, today, do not harden your hearts. Oh, Lord, help us today. Today is the day to live in the obedience of faith. Help us to walk that today, to live that today. And Frodo or Bilbo, don't leave the path. Well, we've heard God's word and heard its challenge to us. The mark of the elect is that they believe the promises and heed the warnings. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That's what he says. I'm going to close with the prayer in Hebrews 13 verse 20 and following that we'll play out with uh, Psalm 95 again that we started off with. It's the one with the sting in the tail. Let's pray. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus that great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's it from me. Uh, may God bless and keep each and every one of us until we meet again. So bye bye for now.
Savior to the test and so 